Amen. Jesus is building his church, and he continues to do so. In the passage that Caleb read, it's important that we reflect on that last verse. This is how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of the living God. Paul wrote that letter, and he's saying, uh, until I come and I can say some of these things in person, you, you need to know. This is, this is what it looks like to be the bride of Christ, right? Because up to this point, did anyone really know what this was going to look like in its finalized form? They're starting new churches. They're traveling around. They're spreading the word. And, and what do you know? What happens? Churches form. They get established. They get rooted down. And they get planted is another good word. And they start to grow. And leaders emerge, spiritually mature leaders emerge within the church. And, and, then, and then what? Then what happens next? Paul. You're traveling to the next city. What do we do now? And so we start to see um, that's when a lot of these uh, Pauline epistles were written. They're written to churches about church matters. What do we do now? What does ministry look like from now till Jesus comes back? Because, Paul, you're not going to be around forever. How do we conduct ourselves in the church of God? Have you ever heard the saying, get your house in order? That's, that's, if someone says that to you... It, you know, hopefully they're joking, right? But so get your house in order. If someone's saying that to you, it's probably not the, the best thing, but sometimes we need to hear it, right? And and so I, yeah, I put that graphic up there, not saying that things are out of order when we get to Acts chapter 20, but rather Paul is about to take a big next step in his missionary journey that Jesus has called him on. It's a very unconventional step, one of persecution and imprisonment and endangerment, and being on the move constantly, and no longer being able to preach in churches. He's preaching the gospel to Roman guards and to emperors. And, and he says uh, in Acts 20, he gives a speech here. And he's helping these pastors from the church of Ephesus and, and also in Miletus to know what comes next. It's about the next generation of pastors. This is Paul's third major speech in Acts 20, and it's the only speech we have where he's speaking only to Christians. Usually it's a mix, or he's preaching to unbelievers, but here he is preaching to, or speaking to, pouring his heart out to, men that know and love Christ, men that have a heart to serve, spiritually mature church leaders. And you can't help but notice a parallel here, right? Because this is Jesus' ministry continued. It's the book of Acts. Don't forget that. Jesus is on the throne, and he's working through his church to spread the gospel to all people, to make disciples of all nations. And Daryl Bach says in his Acts commentary, in Paul's journey from Jerusalem to Rome, okay, this next leg that Paul's about to embark on, Paul mirrors Jesus' journey. And before Jesus went away, what did he do? He prepared his disciples for his absence. Paul says, hey men, I want to prepare you for something. You might not see my face again, as we're going to read in just a moment. And I care about you. I care about your church and the direction of your church. There is hope for you today. There is hope for your church plant, for your church. But we need to understand how to care for the flock of God. So our main point today, we must care for the flock that Jesus Christ purchased with his blood. Read with me Acts 20, verses 24 to 32. 
But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. In other words, things aren't going to be the way that they were. I'm not going to be with you, ministering among you like in the past. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That is the word of God. Now, his sermon is, is, is longer than that, and the context is longer than that, but I had to choose what, what is the big picture of this text here that these are the principles that continue on for church leadership in the direction of the household of God for years to come. When Paul's off the scene and Jesus' ministry continues through the next generation, Paul is saying we must care for the flock. We have to. This is an emotional and heartfelt speech. Look up any commentary, look up any Bible study resource on this text. This text is notorious because it's really hard to outline. How do you, how do you outline it? Paul's pouring out his heart here. And, and he's saying one thing and then another, and then he comes back to this one, and then he comes back to this one. This is just an emotional, heartfelt uh, um, act of love, his final act of mentoring and investing in these men. I'm trying to break down several big takeaways from his speech that apply to pastors. Yes, as overseers of the church, but guess what? Church, these principles apply to the church as well. The buck stops with the pastor for ensuring that the direction of the church is healthy and, and pursuing after Christ, but we are all responsible as the church to be the household of God that God's called us to be. So first of all, we must faithfully share the gospel. In verses 25 and 27, Paul makes it clear, here's what I want. I, I want to finish my race well. And as I look back over my life, and he even says in, in verse 24, hey, this is, not, this is not a selfish thing. This isn't like, hey, I'm trying to get this last word in here. I'm just trying to finish well what I received from Jesus. I'm passing on to you. And I shared the whole gospel. Not just parts. Not just what was, what was convenient. It's not my gospel. It's been a testimony to the living, living Redeemer King. And, and he gives two uh, terms here, two job descriptions that God gave him. That he says, I've tried to be faithful in that, and by God's grace, I think that I have. And neither one of these terms give Paul any kind of um, tribute. They are servant terms. The first is watchman. 
Okay, that's what he alludes to in verse 26. He says, my hands are clean. They're, they're innocent hands. I don't have blood on my hands because I sounded the alarm. I shared everything you need to know. And he's referring to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33 verses 1 through, 1 through 6. In the Old Testament, the city of Israel, right, you have cities that are surrounded by walls. And it, it's a practical term, but it's also a theological term, that the watchman was responsible to blow his trumpet when he sees danger coming for the city. And in Ezekiel 33, God says, I am sending judgment for your sin, for your wickedness. This is coming. And my prophets, my, the, my appointed men, they're, my faithful ones, they're standing on the wall. And you must sound the trumpet. To let the people know. And then guess what? The people are responsible to respond. The watchman isn't responsible for getting people out of the city. Or for getting them to safety. Or helping them repent and turn from their sins. That's not his work. He doesn't do heart work. His job is to sound the trumpet. And the people respond. Paul says, my hands are clean. Because as much as I've been able, I have sounded the trumpet. I'm just a watchman. I'm not the judge. I'm not the king. But I'm sounding the news that he gave me. And when people in the church or outside the church get annoyed with us, what's all this racket? What's all this noise? I'm just trying to enjoy my comfortable Saturday. And here you guys are knocking on my door, telling me I need to get my heart right with God or, you know, get to church or something. Hey, this is our job. This is our calling. This is our joy. We sound the warning because we care for your soul. And we have to share the whole gospel. Yes, God loves you. But you are not enough right there on your own to receive his love. You don't even know how wicked your heart is. He loves you, but he's also a holy God. And judgment is coming to punish all sin. My sin and yours too. There's pending judgment. There's a second coming of Christ. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And he knows everything that we've done. Because he's a sovereign king. But there was a first coming. Jesus came. God the Son took on human flesh to live a perfect sinless life. A substitute life. Representing all of mankind as the perfect man. And as a new and better Adam. And then he died on the cross and gave up his life. And his blood is the sin covering for all sin for those who will hear and respond and will come under his blood. Saved, forgiven from sins, made right with God. So now I don't stand under judgment. Jesus took that on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. But because I'm saved, now what do I want to do for everyone else who doesn't know Christ? I've got to sound the warning. i got to let them know. Paul says, I was faithful to tell you that. And the people in your churches. I was a watchman on the wall. His second term is messenger. Verse 27, I did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. That's a powerful statement right there. That word declared means announced. And that's where we get, we get that idea of messenger, right? 
I have an announcement from the king. Paul says, it's not my gospel. This is the gospel of God. But I'm announcing it to you because God told me to. So here's the thing. Are we declaring the word of God? Then I have all the confidence in the world that I'm going to get this message right. Because it's straight from here. That's why we're always going to have preaching from the word of God on Sundays. But by God's grace, we also want to teach and share and live out the word all week long. This is our confidence. I'm just a messenger. I'm just passing it along. Right? But on, on, on the other side of things, when I shrink back, that's, you know, God help me. That's when I'm afraid and I start to think about myself and what will they think of me? It's not about me. I'm just called to be a faithful messenger. And yesterday, in our Love SRQ Day, we had children and adults walking the streets and walking the parks and asking people if they know Jesus. They were faithful to share the message and the blessings will come. Blessings doesn't always mean people in the seats. But our master knows that we were faithful to share the message. Is that enough? Is that enough that Jesus is on the throne watching us, working through us? He says, great job. You delivered the message I gave to you. I mean, woe to the messenger who goes his whole life saying, this is what I think God is like, or here, listen to me. Let me tell you some of the things that you'll find in the Bible, not all of them, and then stands before the king one day. What'd you do with the message? That's not my message. Let's be messengers. Our city does not need us to reinvent the Bible. Or, or try to be more creative with the gospel, then it's to be faithful with the gospel. Because the true gospel leads people to eternal life. So, let's be faithful to share the whole gospel. Then Paul says, pastors, we must prioritize soul care. This is the whole point. He, God doesn't call pastors to shepherd the flock for our own sakes. Or because, you know, hey, Having a title is pretty cool. Or having people follow along with you. Hey, getting a good following, that's, that's pretty cool. No. We are to pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock. To pay careful attention. Okay, so consider carefully. This is an imperative. This is a command. Pay careful attention to yourself. It sounds just like 1 Timothy 4.16. When Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. It's almost like Paul knows what kind of a troublemaker I can be. I'm offended by this, Paul. We need to pay careful, close attention. Aren't you just going to assume the best? This is the same Paul that wrote Romans 7. He says, the times that I try to do right, and my flesh feels a different way, wants me to go a different way, woe is me, wretched man that I am. I'm, I'm caught between what I know is right and what I feel in my flesh, I've got to pay close attention to my own heart. I'm not superior to the flock. Time doesn't make me better than anyone. I'm not a cut above. I shepherd as a member of the flock, right? Because the flock was purchased with Christ's own blood, and that includes me. I am first and foremost a redeemed child of God, a humble sheep following the master. Whatever he calls me to do. Wherever he sends me, I'll go. 
just, I want to follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And I can preach about God's grace because I've experienced it firsthand. He has saved me. And, oh, I need to become more like Jesus. But you, you don't want to know who I was before Christ. Although you probably have your own story. The saving grace of Jesus at work in your life. When you became a Christ follower, you were made alive. We live right by the airport. I've flown on a number of flights, even this year. A crazy amount of flights, actually, it seems like. I'm, I'm done with that for a while. My wife's relieved of that. I'm sure all of you have flown before, and uh, when you are in a commercial airline, you know, not so much on a, on a private plane or, a, or maybe on a military plane, but, but when you're on a commercial flight and you're flying out, they give you those emergency instructions, right? Here's what to do in case of emergency. If the cabin pressure drops, if the oxygen level drops, what's going to drop from the ceiling? An oxygen mask. And they tell you the craziest thing if you're a parent. They tell you, put your mask on first before anyone else. Wait, I've always been told, put the lives of my kids before mine, put the lives of my wife, my, or lives, singular, <laughs> husband of one wife, all right, put the life of my wife before myself, and you're telling me to put my mask on first? Yeah, because if you're not breathing oxygen, you can't help anybody else. Isn't that a great picture of the grace of God in my own life? Good as it do to preach out, exhale something if I am not daily growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. My love for Jesus determines if I am a successful pastor. I'd be a great pastor, be a great lover of Jesus. First and foremost, keep an eye on myself because even pastors can stray. And I'm grateful for Pastor Dennis helping me with a team-based leadership approach. And we pray that one day... We will see other leaders emerge and rise up and grow and become a part of the elder team with different gifts and abilities. And together, we grow in God's grace and we lead this church. We care for this church. So it's not based on one person's creative strategy. It's not based on one person's gifting. Right? I, I, I'm trying to grow closer to Jesus myself. And I need accountability and I need help. And I want to encourage you, church, as you hear me preach, you're going to hear me exhaling what I have been breathing in all week. And there are some pastors, and I, I pray that I won't be one of them, they start to sound bitter in their preaching. They start to preach more against things than declaring the whole counsel of God and caring for the flock. And if you ever start to hear that in my tone, if you ever start to see that on social media, pastor, you just... See that little chip on your shoulders? Is everything okay? I would love to know that while I'm trying to keep a close watch on myself, I have blind spots. My wife catches 99% of them, but I need other people as well. I need the church keeping a close watch on one another and on the flock at large. So he says uh, in uh, what is it, sorry, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock we're caring for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And we're appointed by his Holy Spirit. So the word here, oversee, that's, you can translate it bishop, and some people use that as a title. Really, that word is more of a, um, a state, uh, uh, or rather a functional term. It's a functional term. This is how we 
do it. How do we care for the flock? We oversee to make sure that the church is receiving the grace and the love of Christ in their home, in their lives, in their spiritual walk. Because my job is to get them a little bit closer to Jesus, and one day, he's going to come back, and he's taking, he's taking full control over, and my job is done. So my job right now is to care for the flock of God, knowing that, that I'm just a steward. This is not my flock. So how would I treat the flock of Jesus Christ, knowing they're not here to serve me, I'm here to serve them? That's the thing. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? John 21, 16. Do you love me? Well, yes, Lord. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is how you show you love me. You care for others more than yourself. Care for my flock, just like I've cared for you. Spiritual leadership is a God-given responsibility for the redeeming good of others. I only have value as a leader as I am serving others. Think about that. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I, I, can, I can point myself to Jesus. I can come to Jesus. And, but as far as leading others, I'm only any good to anyone else if I'm leading them towards Jesus, which means I need to have their best interests at heart. This isn't about me. This isn't about getting a paycheck for myself or a name. Ephesians 4.12 says we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're given various uh, giftings, and, and there were different leaders in the church in the beginning. There were apostles, there were evangelists, there were prophets, there were teachers, there were pastors. But our role, whatever your gifting is, is not to make yourself look good, to pump yourself up. It is to serve the flock and help them pursue God's best for their life. And the day, when the day comes that I put myself first, I am no longer a spiritual leader. I'm a carnal leader. And I should step away or get some help and repent. And today our society is so individualistic, we only think about how does this impact me as an individual. I, and so, you know, I don't think I need oversight. I don't need a leader in my spiritual life. I don't need to submit to authority. Sometimes I need a community, but sometimes I can get by on my own. I can kind of lone ranger it. And I'm sure you see headlines all the time about pastors that try to do that. And I'm sure you've heard stories of what happens to churches when, when members say, you know what, we don't need any kind of spiritual leadership. We are the leaders. Whoa. Whoa. That's a dangerous place to be. Because we're saying, Holy Spirit, thanks but no thanks. Jesus... We got it from here. Thank you. And, and I can do okay on my own. You know what happens then? The wolves come sneaking around. Because all a wolf has to do is appear like a, like a lamb for a while or appear like a sheep or just wait on the edges until the sheep start wandering off by themselves. And then the wolf can do whatever the wolf wants to do. Get the sheep away from the shepherd can have my way. And Paul says, ultimately, that's why we need to pay careful attention. Because guess what? Verse 29. I know that wolves will come in among you. And they're not going to spare the flock. They're not interested in the best 
care and the love for the flock. They're not interested in sharing the gospel. They're not interested in eternal life. They care about their own selves. They care about making disciples of themselves. They want to wreck your faith. They are ministers of Satan, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But they're focused on themselves. So pastors, if we are not alert, if we're not awake and watching out, oh, but, but not in our church. Everyone is just so sweet and wonderful and we've never had any problems like that. And you start to coast. You start to get lazy on your watch. You're not praying. You're not looking. You're not intentionally caring for your flock. You don't even know who's on your membership role. Not really that important anyways. What's membership? And then slowly the sheep start getting snatched away. And the saddest thing is when the pastor doesn't even realize it. Sleep on the job. So stay alert. These wolves are savage. And they are coming for the weak and the sickly and the young. They're coming for those that think they can do it on their own. So can we commit together as a church this morning that we will not do life alone? We will not develop our theology of God alone. We will not evangelize alone, thinking that we can win this whole community of Christ by ourselves. We will not pray alone, although we will pray alone. You should not only pray alone. Look at how many times in Scripture, when the church prays together, God unites them and moves them forward. And may we be looking for caring and gracious leaders of Jesus Christ, or uh, leaders of the church, which means that we're looking for people, men of God, who know that they need God's grace first and foremost for themselves. We also need to make sure they're leading for the redeeming good of others. And we'll be able to see that over a pattern over the long haul. So we're not hasty to appoint elders and lay hands on people and say, yeah, you're a pastor. Do they have a track record of putting themselves last and others first? That's what we're looking for, that track record. Then we know when the chips are down, they're going to put others before themselves. Are they also prioritizing soul care for the flock? Not just trying to build ministries. And church, we should all be pursuing that, right? God's grace for ourselves. Serve for the redeeming good of others. Prioritizing soul care. Here's the third and final thing. Paul says, hey, I can walk away from you all right now. What? Paul, you can't leave us. You can't go to Jerusalem. We need you. Doesn't every pastor love hearing that? We need you, pastor. You're the best. You're the best pastor ever. You're the best preacher I've ever had. Paul says, guess what? It's not about me. It's never been about me. My ministry is momentary. Jesus is ultimate. And for this short time, he has allowed me graciously to have a role in your spiritual development. But I'm going to pass the baton on one day. It could be I get in a car crash and I'm in heaven with Jesus. Job done. It could be a long, slow transition at the age of 70 with the next pastor. It could be uh, a church leadership change from a singular pastor to a team-based approach. Or, uh, you know, hey, I was leading this, this nursing home ministry, and then I see another guy coming up, and he can take this farther than I can. And, and we all know that we are not ultimate. 
one day we will die. <laughs> you know, how many preachers are like, I'd love to die preaching in the pulpit. That's going to be a traumatizing thing for your flock, but okay. But even you know one day it's going to come to an end. This is just a temporary stewardship. Paul says, I commend you to God. I'm upsetting you before God, and I can walk away with a clear conscience because I was faithful during that time, and I didn't make it all about me. It's a high calling. And at all times we have to remember, Pastor, we are temporary stewards of this flock. Just because we're the ones involved in the plant team does not mean we get any credit for ourselves. We're not going to name the fellowship hall after ourselves. <laughs> we're, it's not about us. And aspiring pastors, remember that as well. We can, we can put a lot of excitement and hope into the ministry, but what is life? It's a vapor. So don't live for the ministry and don't make the ministry live for you. It's about Jesus. And that doesn't mean our ministry today is unimportant. This is the most important work we could possibly be doing, right? We were called for such a time as this. And we're responsible to make disciples of this generation. Right now, I can't think of a better time to start Children's Church. Some of the children had, had different thoughts on that today. It's all right. We're working with them on that. But what a time for us to show it's about the next generation. That's why we're here. And we make disciples of that generation, and then we train them to turn around and do the exact same thing. Turn around. Look for leaders rising up among you. Look for disciple makers. But all of us need to be making disciples of the next generation. Right here, right now. So that when they grow up, they will also know of God's faithfulness and His steadfast love. And they will pass it on to the next generation. So what we were told to do in Deuteronomy 6, by we, I mean the people of God, back in the Old Testament, Old Covenant people of God, nation of Israel, pass this on to your children. And they'll pass it on to their children. They'll pass it on to their children. And here we are all these years later because someone kept passing it on. Don't make it about you. It's about the work of God continuing on. And I read about this phenomenon in church planting. I actually heard about it on podcasts too. That uh, you have your core team, and it grows, and you see a church plant. And what happens is when a church grows and more people come, our roles change. So whereas you have 10 people doing all the work together and you're highly involved, now other people come who are gifted. And they're looking for ways to serve. And if we are prepared for this and we know, hey, this is not about me, we can get threatened by that. We can run people off. Or we can say, I guess I'm not needed around here anymore because I'm not needed the same way, so I'll just find another church or start another church plant. And, well, hold on now. Isn't this the whole point? When we get to that point that you and I don't have to do everything because we've raised up people and, and we've delegated to people and we have uh, worship leaders, and we have greeters, and we have children's ministry workers, and we have people making the coffee, and then you and I can invest in the people who are doing such things. Awesome. This is great. Equip the saints. That's what we're called to do. Let's not get threatened by that. I mean, I love doing everything that we're doing right now, but I look forward to the day when there's a lot of people doing it alongside with us. And they're here because they know we care and we want to see God's best plan develop in their lives. God's mission continues 
even after you and I are off the scene. So right now, who are the overseers of Living Hope Church who are responsible to God for the direction and the vision and the health of our church? God has called Pastor Dennis and I to that task. I serve as the lead pastor, which means I'm just, I am the, the, the chief spokesman of the vision and the mission. But Pastor Dennis is no less an overseer and no less responsible. He's a pastor of community and care. And isn't the whole point of this message, care for the flock? And I want to commend Pastor Dennis. He does an excellent job caring for a flock. And I've seen his track record doing it in churches that were much larger than this. And he will continue to do so. We have an aspiring pastor here. We're praying over you. We're looking to equip you. And as you can continue your studies and your journey, let's see what God will do. Let's see how he will call you and where he will call you. This team, this, I'd love for this elder team to grow, but it needs to be who the Holy Spirit calls and appoints to this role. Right? We're not a community in and of ourselves. We serve on his behalf for the good of others. So here's some practical steps. For how we as a church can take this to heart and care for our church and help our pastors with that task. Just a couple quick things. And I think I have it all here on, on, on one slide. First of all, put your oxygen mask on. Every day, grow in his grace. We don't have small group tonight. That doesn't mean you can't get in the word. You can't spend some time in prayer. Get alone with Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. We don't have to be in a group to enjoy Jesus. I love what we do. Put your mask on daily. Also commit. And all, everyone here is fully committed. I'm thankful for that. Commit to grow in community. I'm not going to do it on my own. That doesn't mean you don't read your Bible on your own. That doesn't mean you won't have a gospel conversation with someone by yourself. But when you just get isolated or you get upset at something and you withdraw, I'm just, I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm not going to go to church for a while. Oh. Let people in. Let, let the grace of God come through relationships and mentoring. I also want us to, to communicate. Don't assume that we know all the needs, even in a group of our size. There are things that happen, stuff that goes on in life, surgeries and financial needs and hardships. And How can we help if we don't know? Communicate the needs. Even if it's a prayer request, text us day or night. We're praying for you. And let's keep an eye on one another. That might sound creepy. But I want to, I want to sound, sound not creepy, right? It takes a village. We need to encourage each other, watch out for each other. If someone comes in like this on Sunday morning, hey, what's going on? Are you having a tough week? Or did you get some bad news? We're just looking to care. Because we've got our blinders off and we're watching. We're keeping on one another. And we give. So we can't do everything for all people. But when the church and the, the flock give together, we can take care of this flock. And as we grow and we continue to give, our ability to meet certain needs expands. And I'm excited about that. Lord, allow us to care for the flock. So let's honor the name of the Savior this week. Let's take Paul's challenge to heart for ourselves because it's in the book of Acts. It's for all of us. It's the word of God. So let's care for the flock that he bought with his own blood and love the church and care for the church. And men, let us aspire to those godly attributes of a spiritually mature man who's a pastor and overseer of the church. 
because no man is a pastor of the church in title who was a first a pastor as a matter of character in the heart first. So aspire to that. And, and ladies, the pastors labored in the study of the word and in prayer in the early church. What's to keep our ladies from doing that as well? Labor in the word. Labor in prayer. And we'll see a healthy church that's not male-dominated or male-centered, male-led. But as we lead, our ladies flourish along with us. They're in the word with us. They're, they're teaching the children. They're teaching one another. And they're caring with us. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Let's pray.